Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a local fee-only fiduciary providing investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Know the difference. Winners, losers, and how about that GDP? Welcome to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're glad you're here. Consider this a weekend audio magazine covering a favorite topic, investing and planning for your second act. Do we even need to call it retirement anymore? There's a whole lot of life after you hang it up. I'm Danny Clayton, Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist in the studio. Welcome. It's great to be here. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny, and thanks for being here, Brian. You know, another negative week down nearly 3% on the S&P 500. You know, there's Lots to focus on, both on the macro level. We saw a really good GDP number and some earnings reports that came out this week. Both of them moved the market. So let's start on the macro side. We saw a GDP number that was way over 4%, somewhat surprising. It really was. And 4.9% is the annualized growth of GDP, really driven by three things, consumer spending, a big swing in inventories and government spending. So when I look at the consumer spending, a lot of that was driven by services. Maybe that whole summer splurge on Taylor Swift concerts and Beyonce and travel, that's not likely going to persist as we go into the fourth quarter. The inventory swings, those are always a wild card. Is it the case that businesses really were underproducing and needed to kind of build up their inventories and now have they overestimated what demand is going to be like going forward? And then that government spending one, national defense and infrastructure. Well, on our investment committee, when we're looking at that infrastructure spending, believe it or not, that is not likely going to peak until we get to 2026. So government spending is likely to make continued positive contributions to growth going forward, but consumers might become a drag. Yeah, so let's take that apart real quickly. And the reason why we spend so much time on the GDP number is because, of course, we know that positive GDP keeps us away from a recession. The 4.9% third quarter GDP will likely be revised downward. We saw that about 1.5% was this inventory growth in the third Mm -hmm. quarter, which could be used in the fourth quarter as we start to slow down. But I do agree that that's something that we have to pay attention to. It is going to go into the conversation that the Fed has next week. Very likely that they stand pat because the PCE number came in. The inflation indicator that they like to use was better than expected. It was. Yeah, the personal consumption expenditure for inflation wasn't all that bad. It was a slight uptick, but everybody was kind of expecting that because of the services component. A key thing is shelter costs are continuing to come down. We're not seeing an acceleration in service prices. Now, keep in mind that lower inflation does not require lower prices. So a lot of people kind of think, hey, cost of living is still high. Well, yes, it's still high and it's going to go higher. It's just a question of, is it getting closer to that Fed's target of 
2%. We're getting closer to it, but from our investment committee's perspective, 2% is still maybe a 2025 story, not a 2023 or 2024. And that is worth repeating. So folks, when we talk about inflation, the rate of change, that means if they're targeting 2%, that means they only want prices to go up 2% and not the 9% that we saw last year. Really, as you said, that doesn't mean prices are going down. They're just not going up as fast. And so the inflation number that the Fed is looking at is getting closer to their target. Expect the Fed to stand pat next week. Now let's switch gears to what is happening with earnings reports as we go through major earnings report news this week. Yeah, we're actually about halfway through the earnings season, at least as measured by the S&P 500. And what we've been seeing is that a lot of businesses have been beating, but you've also seen some big misses as well. So this past week, we really saw a company like Microsoft or a company like Amazon seeming to fire on all cylinders, exceeding expectations. But then you have companies like Meta, also known as Facebook, and then Google, also known as Alphabet, those actually missing expectations. They had growth in their earnings. It's just it didn't meet those lofty expectations that were set for them. And so they talk about the magnificent seven, the seven big stocks that really have been driving. And so that is the reason why we do highlight that. But folks, there are another 493 companies that need to report as well. And we watch those as well. Some really missed the boat in a large way. They did. And one of the ones that I was really paying attention to is like energy. That's an area that we've really liked because we know that with the conflict in the Middle East, that's supported those uh, oil prices. These are also a lot of them are cash cows. But then a company like Exxon or Chevron, they reported and really they're actually seeing some squeezing as far as their profit margins when it comes from refineries. Now they've announced a few deals to really be big players in the Permian Basin. So we'll have to maybe look at this one more for the long term and not necessarily just based upon how they did in the third quarter. And as you know, folks, we often talk about what you own and why you own it. And as folks come in and we go through their portfolio review, they understand that they may be underweighted or overweighted in places that they shouldn't be. That is the wealth metric that we talk about. Yeah, until you see it face to face, it really won't click. We want to get you to the point where you can click and sit down with us. We'd love to do that. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com. You click that Get Started button. We operate as a fee-only fiduciary. That is a deep dive on the market. So I start the show off with that, a week in review, always available as a podcast and delivered Sundays in the Axiom newsletter. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for Saturday, October 28th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. We're back. A couple of weekend things you can do. Sign up for the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. We're on social media, lots of places like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with a lot of channels. SWAT podcasts in depth and really, really good. And it's a fairly quick listen. It's from the Annex Wealth Management Investment Team. We're now publishing it earlier on Monday morning. So if you want to know what we're thinking about for the week to come, that would be the great thing. And then this show available on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. In the studio, Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, we were talking uh, between the break just now about what's happening around the world. And a lot of times when the Fed pauses, we like to take a deeper dive. You know, what is it for market cap? Do the small caps do better? Do large caps do better? You look around the world. And one of the things that we're starting to notice is both in Europe and in the Far East, those markets are really under pressure. They really are. And I think that some of it 
actually most of it is probably justified by deteriorating fundamentals. When I look at Europe, uh, they seem to be stuck in a recession. Now, keep in mind, markets already know that. And so from an investing perspective, the question is, is, well, what about next year? Are we going to see an improvement in the growth outlook in Europe? And so on our investment committee, we do have a slight overweight towards uh, non-U.S. stocks relative to the broader benchmark. And most of that is because it's very visible that Europe is in a recession. And even if you look at, let's say, emerging markets, the struggles that they've been having because of the stronger dollar. From our perspective, valuations, if you are that patient investor who is looking for those longer term opportunities, it does merit maybe a second look to take a, a real look at those markets as opposed to just being solely focused on the U.S. And that really the way if you're listening to this and go, well, how the heck do I do that? It's in your portfolio. You say, you know, there's domestic equities. There's also international equities. And some of those are, frankly, multinational companies mm -hmm. that you can invest in here in the United States. But it doesn't just have to be in equities. It also can be in the fixed income market that you've looked at as well. Yeah, when we look at the fixed income markets, look at all the volatility, the ups and downs with the U.S. Treasury yields. And yet you have a country like Japan where they are still practicing what's called yield curve control. So they're trying to pin their interest rates towards zero to try to stimulate their economy. It's creating some interesting dynamics. Uh, an area that we've actually been really looking at is with emerging market debt. Keep in mind, emerging markets, you've got a lot of political risks there. I think you can see that as far as with Argentina, with their elections, Poland, with their elections that recently happened. That Argentina election is very interesting because you talked about pegging it to zero. I think they want to peg it to the U.S. dollar. Yeah. That's even more interesting. It, that is. Uh, so one of the candidates who just got a little bit of an endorsement from uh, one of the, I think it was like the third place contender with the initial election. He's The really guy who looked like Elvis Presley. Yes. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, he's proposing, let's just get rid of our currency or peg it to the U.S. dollar right. instead. Other emerging market countries have done that. Ecuador has done that. Even Hong Kong, for the most part, they have pegged their currency to the dollar. What it does is it brings fiscal and monetary discipline to those countries. Um, the adjustment can be a little difficult to work through, but if you have incredibly rapid inflation like they do in Argentina, that is a great way to bring it under control and control quickly. You know, there was a segment on 60 Minutes uh, last week Sunday, uh, and they had the, the eyes, you know, a lot of the CIA's and intelligent people around the world talking, and they said that China is the threat, both on AI and militarily, but you look at what's happening, they also have an economic issue for mm -hmm. us as well, because they are slowing down, and they're the second largest economy in the world. They are. They're also also one of the larger holders of U.S. Treasury securities. And so if they are struggling, it means that they aren't buying as many U.S. Treasuries. And so what we've seen is the Fed stepping out of the market as a, uh, an active buyer of U.S. Treasuries and China as well. Now, uh, President Xi in China, he did something rather unprecedented. He went to the People's Bank of China, their offices. That's their version of the Federal Reserve. Right. Basically to say, hey, why don't you do a little bit more stimulus here? And now they're also planning on increasing their budget deficit from 3% of GDP to 3.8% to do more infrastructure spending. And I think this is kind of important, is it's going to come at the federal level instead of, historically, they've pushed it down to states and municipalities to do the stimulus. So now 
it's coming more from the top down under uh, President Xi's iron fist. Yeah, but folks, uh, you know, there really is a difference between financial advisors. I know you get a lot of information from different places, but there is a difference. Know the difference. Go to our website and hit the Know the Difference checklist. There you go. You know, gray divorces are increasing. Divorces up in financial planning. Annex can help. In fact, we'll talk about how a certified divorce financial analyst can help with the process. That's after a break. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee. Annex Wealth Management works in your best interest. Can your advisors say that? This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP. CDFA, Wealth Manager at Annex. Welcome back. Hi, Danny. So buried in the middle of your certifications is CDFA, or Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. And sometimes when I introduce you, it breezes by pretty quickly. Purpose of this conversation is to dig a little bit deeper and explain what that is and how it can be an effective resource for clients of Annex Wealth Management. Well, sure. So I've been a Certified Financial Planner, a CFP, for over 22 years. And about seven years ago or so, I decided to focus on people undergoing potentially financial life-changing events. I mean, that retirement's included in one of those, of course, but so is divorce. And the current certification for divorce is the CDFA. A marriage is a partnership, and Mm -hmm. when that partnership ends, there needs to be a fair and equitable distribution of assets, and that can get sticky. Well, sure, because no one really feels that their share is fair when all's said and done. We're going to make no bones about it. A divorce is a major event with significant impact. We're going to talk to the financial side. At Annex, our entire team is a resource for our clients. PhDs, CFAs, CFPs, wealth strategists, wealth managers, state planning attorneys, long list. You are a wealth manager, a CFP, and a CDFA. What exactly is that? Well, it's the credential for financial professionals who help people plan their divorces and also assist on the other side of divorces. The goal is to help clients understand the financial side of divorce. Now, while divorce involves many different areas of life planning, one of the most significant issues that couples have to navigate is how to split their assets and a certified divorce financial analyst helps with that. That sounds kind of legal. Does a CDFA help with legal issues? Well, it's really critical to understand that a CDFA is not a law degree or a license. It does not authorize the holder to help couples with any of the legal issues that come up during divorce. This is particularly important because of how often legal and accounting issues overlap during divorce proceedings, like with child support calculations, for example. So again, the CDFA is there for the accounting issues. A CDFA works with the attorney but does not replace the attorney. You're a pretty busy person, but you said seven years ago you added CDFA to your quiver. Mm -hmm. What's the process to get that? Well, you know, okay, so the certification shows that the holder has studied and shown a special expertise in the financial and accounting field with issues that frequently occur while you're navigating and negotiating a divorce. The certification, again, is not a license or authorize the holder to help couples negotiate their divorce. It really indicates a significantly higher degree or skill or specialty in that field. It it does require a basic four-year bachelor education and then intense studies and exams. I hate to say it, but the need is 
increasing. We're talking often about gray divorce. When a client is at the point where they need a CDFA, how do they utilize those services? The role of the CDFA operates similarly to how the roles of attorney work at Annex. In both cases, we're not allowed to practice law because Annex is not a law firm. We're here as an educational resource in both cases. Relative to divorce, anyone can schedule a 30-minute session virtually or on the phone with myself as a CDFA here at Annex to answer questions about the divorce process in general and give clients or prospective clients a feel for what to expect in the process, education on different types of divorce, and based on their situation, some considerations. In all cases, we suggest one speak with an attorney. However, we're here to help people understand the financial aspect of divorce, including reading the marital settlement agreement, the the quadro or qualified domestic relation order, and explaining those to the client and what their expectations are, understanding how pensions are split, assisting with the splitting of the assets after the divorce, as well as helping to sort out beneficiary designations, and even budgeting during and post-divorce. And then, of course, things like support, child and spousal. Because the chips need to fall, and we want to help where they're and how they're going to fall? We do. So very often, I will take a look at um, someone's in-process divorce, at their paperwork, and be able to answer questions. And then we can put it in our financial planning software and project how they will look on the other side of divorce. And in the long run, everyone wants to know, am I going to be okay coming out of this? How often do you have to put that CDFA hat on? Well, I would say it's much more now post-COVID. That really seem to accelerate the cases that came our way, particularly with couples who are in that gray divorce area, so post 50 years old. And you know, when you're older and nearing retirement and looking at splitting your assets, everything that you built, basically it feels like you're starting over. It is a daunting task. We're here to help you sort that out. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Saturday, October 28th, this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Still to come, Ask Annex and a new look at millionaire myths. Time for news. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Planning and investing insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Back on the show. Time for Ask Annex. Got a question for us? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask button. And of course, as always, if we can help, you click that Get Started button. In the studio, Fred Coleman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. We got Matt Morsey, investment team manager. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Question number one. My wife and I invested every year in a 529 for our son. He has decided to enlist in the military upon graduation in the spring. He's our only child and says he has no intention of attending college after his service obligation ends. Neither my wife nor I intend on using the 529 ourselves. What are our options to retain the value of this investment? In these situations, you have a few options. First option is changing a beneficiary to another family member. An IRS definition of a family member goes pretty far down the bloodline, even to first cousins. The second option is withdrawing the funds and paying the taxes and penalties on the earnings and just moving it into a different type of investment account. That way you can still continue to invest, just lose the need to use it for college expenses. The third option is a newer option that allows you to roll the 529 into a Roth IRA in your child's name. To do this, the 529 account must be open for 15 years. It cannot exceed the annual contribution limits and no contributions within the last five years may be rolled over. The max that you can roll over is $35,000. 
Next up on Ask Annex, I've got to temporarily pause either my HSA or 401k contribution. Any opinion on which? Probably no more than six months. Yeah, that's a great question and one that, you know, from time to time people have to decide how am I going to save? I, I either have to limit what I'm doing right now because of situations that may be outside of my control and I've got to decide where I'm going to go. Financial planning, this is really, really important for this. You could take a look at long term, which is going to be a better decision for you. Short term, you kind of look at it a couple different ways. From a 401k side, are you getting a match on that contribution. If you are, you probably want to do that because otherwise you're giving up that free money and who doesn't like free money? After that, if you already are getting past that match standpoint or you don't get a match at all with your 401k, I love HSAs. They're one of the things that I I believe in really, really strongly. Plus, if you're in a situation where you need to scale back how much you're saving, that might be a time where you might be worried about an emergency popping up or something else going on. And at least if you put that money in the HSA, if that emergency is due to health reasons or something comes up that's outside of your control from a medical standpoint, you can use that money without penalty, without any taxes or anything like that to pay for those health expenses. So that's one of the reasons why I love the HSA. Yeah, and this is also an opportunity to reevaluate your financial plan and emergency funds uh, because we know in life it's not a matter of if these situations will come up, but when they'll come up. If you've been listening to our show for a while, you know that Ask Annex sometimes can provoke some arguments. We've talked about backyard <laughs> barbecues yeah, where tailgates. people have gotten mm-hmm. into things. Well, here's a new one. This argument came up at a football tailgate. One of my friends is advocating investing in defense-oriented companies based on world events. Another says it's probably too late. Yeah, I love these types of arguments. I even, you know, get into these arguments with my friends sometimes, and they're they're fun. But, you know, ultimately, we never know. We do know that sometimes defense stocks can get a boost due to different world events, but it's not guaranteed, and it's very difficult to time in the short term. So once you hear about it on the news, it's probably too late if you're looking at that short-term boost. From a long-term perspective, we know military spending will always be in the government's budget, and these stocks tend to lean towards more dividend paying. And so if you do need income in your portfolio, they can be an option. Yeah, I think you made a couple of great points there in front. Maybe we need you on the investment team because that's some <laughs> of the stuff that we look at every single day. And I love that we've got guys on the team that that's all that they do is dig into individual companies. They're on their earnings calls. They're reading all the reports that come through and they're looking at it from a long-term perspective. Short-term, a lot of times when there is a geopolitical event, you're right. We see that event happen there's a reaction in the stock. A lot of times that's very short-lived. And if it was a big boost up, a lot of times that pulls back pretty quickly once that it kind of that sentiment loses a little bit or the air pops out of that balloon a little bit for the extent of that one company or maybe that sector. So what we like to look at is, is this company positioned to do well long-term regardless of specific events? Is it something that they have great management of that company? They're managing employees well. They're managing capital well within that company. They know how to get what they sell out into the market and do so with a quality balance sheet and make it a profit every single year. So we're looking at those individual companies for that. From a sector standpoint, you're right. A lot of times that tends to be short-lived and the government is always spending a lot of money and that goes up every single year. So you know there's kind of a tailwind behind there, but how well is that company managed ultimately is going to decide which companies are the ones to invest in. Matt Moore is the investment team manager on Ask Annex. Thank you. Thank you. Fred Coleman, wealth manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. If you have reached millionaire status, you were probably sick and tired of hearing that you had it handed to you, that it came easy. What are millionaire myths and why are they wrong? We're going to take a fresh look at them next with Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee. Money Talk is straight talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. 
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client. Welcome back. Danny. Well, let's start there. What's the best way to describe Annex Private Client? It's a part of Annex that really caters to the high net worth, complex situations that have a lot of moving parts. One way I like to think about it is integrating the tax with the estate, which we do at Annex, right across Annex. But this gets to levels where we're worried about estate taxes, where we're worried about how does this flow generationally, philanthropically? How does this all work together? And that's where Annex Private Client really comes into play. You are the right person to talk about this. According to Fidelity's Millionaire Outlook study, 82% of millionaires are self-made easy to think the wrong way about high net worth individuals and families. Plenty of myths we're going to talk about for some insight. In your role with Annex Private Client, you might have heard some of this frustration firsthand. The first millionaire myth is, if you got a high salary, you are set for life. Yeah, so that is a huge myth on multiple levels, but the first and foremost is what we've noticed, and it's not all people, but people tend to grow into their income. So the key to this, the key to make that millionaire status, right, is savings. What you see from incredibly successful people is this laser focus on savings. They might make a lot, but they sure save a lot. And it's not just 401k. They look at 401k as, yes, it's that tax-advantaged opportunity to save, but no, we're doing a lot more savings somewhere else inside of an opportunity to grow so they can reach those early retirement goals. Millionaire myth number two, it's all luck. And let me tell you, blood, sweat, tears, right? It is all about how much they pour into their lives. Let me take a step back. What I mean by that is a lot of these millionaires are actually business owners. And it's blood, sweat, and tears of 10, 20, 30, 40, in some instances, 50 years of pouring their souls into their business and eventually coming out of it with a million or more dollars. But it's taken years, it's sleepless nights, it's stress, it's hard, it's travel. All of that is poured into this. So when you see the end game, what you don't see is just like an iceberg, all of that stuff under the water that they had to pour into it to make it successful. Millionaire myth number three, you got to make all your money before you retire. Well, see, that leads to the business owner thing again, because that's so not true. What you tend to see is, yes, they might cash flow really well right before retirement, but really it's after retirement, quote unquote, is all defined and all relative on what you want to do. But when they sell that business, when they finally monetize all that hard work of 20, 30 or 40 years. Brandon Lehman, director of Annex Private Client, an offering from Annex for clients with high net worth and complex challenges that come along with that. Millionaire myth number four, you got to have a fancy college degree. To be fair, a lot of folks do have degrees, but is it fancy? Typically not. Is it high-end? Typically not. It's the will and the drive to build a successful business and focus on that and put all your heart and soul into building something successful. That is how they reach these levels. That is how folks have gone from nothing, in some instances, literally nothing, to multi-million dollars because blood, sweat, and tears that they just did year over year over year. Now, yes, college helped in you know, some instances, but some of these folks didn't go to school. I, I can think about easily a handful of folks that I know that have become incredibly wealthy that didn't end up going to college. Millionaire myth number five, they work for big banks, law firms, and tech companies. Well, I think this ties right back into myth number four, which is just they tend to be business owners. The vast majority of millionaires, 66% actually, are individual business owners. They started something or purchased something. Think about this in the aspect that it started from scratch. Sometimes they take a huge risk and go out and buy another business that was maybe doing okay, and then they've turned it into something just incredible. And again, 
a handful of those I've seen just this year where they bought something that was doing well and over the course of 9, 10, 20 years turn it into something that was unbelievably successful. Millionaire myth number six, success comes easily and early. I think I've said it all along. It's blood, sweat, and tears. One, it doesn't come early because you have to put in the work. Yes, maybe there's some luck there that somehow it happened. But in reality, it's hard work day in and day out. It's grinding. It's putting in the effort. And then eventually it pays off. Sometimes it pays off really early if you're lucky. But in reality, it, it takes a long time to build this. But the hardest thing that you start to see, which I think dives into kind of our last myth, is they don't ever get out of it because they don't know what to do after it. Myth seven is they don't have anything to worry about. And really the next one is they got their future all figured out. That's not true. Yeah. So both of those are definitely not true. When you think about one, they have a lot to worry about because when we talk business owners might support more than just their family, it might support 10, 20, 30, 150 other families. That weighs on their mind all the time is the decision they're making right, not just for them, but for everybody else that relies on that company. The second thing is, do they have it all figured out? Absolutely not. That is why they come to us because they are really good at what they do, incredibly successful. But do they understand how their decisions, their tax choices, their estate choices, impact all of that. That's where we come into play when you look at the wealth strategist team we have at Annex Private Client to really factor all that in laser focused and help build really what is next and to make sure that myth number seven and myth number eight, if they don't have anything to worry about and they got it all figured out, that's our job to help them get through that. No matter where you're at, there's a logical entry point to work with Annex. There's Annex Ignite, Annex Comprehensive Wealth, Annex Private Client. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client. Thanks for jumping on. Danny. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. The longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk. The Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. This show you can get as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to go back, maybe you came in late. I'm Danny Clayton. It's Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, still in the studio. Continuing our conversation from last week about private equity in regards to Annex Private Client, you've probably seen various high-profile names attached to various PE investments. Never thought we'd mention the Kardashians on the show, but the Kardashians (laughs) have become billionaires with that. Serena Williams, Tom Brady, public friends of Wheels Up, the private flight Mm -hmm. company that's hit severe turbulence now. (laughs) The latest is Kristen Bell and her husband, Dak Shepard, an adorable couple. They founded Hello Bello, a baby products company. A lot of PE money poured in. They were in Walmart. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. But the wheels fell off, torpedoed by high shipping and production costs. It wasn't all their money. This was PE money that was backed. What is PE's role in this type of investment. Yeah, so it was a really interesting story, especially since they do seem like such a cute couple, you know, and I'm sure they're doing just fine. This is probably more of a passion project for them, right? Uh, Get some extra income, but it was also an idea that they had that they really firmly believed in. And they were able to convince some private equity backers to believe in it as well. So this uh, PE firm, VGM Partners, they helped invest in this company to help it grow. When I brought that story to you, you'd seen it, but you automatically said, oh, VGM Partners, so you knew. Yeah, Yeah. mainly because, you know, it it is, uh, there are certain private equity firms that are famous for investing in particular themes or ideas. And so VGM partners, and you can just Google them to see what their portfolio of companies are. And you'll probably recognize a number of these brands, but a lot of it was as far as with like consumer goods. 
trying to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. That's kind of their thing. And so they tried to help fund the growth of this company. Now, unfortunately, not all of those bets pay off. And as a result, Hello Bello, they uh, unfortunately have filed for bankruptcy. So a VGM, a PE firm, yep. amasses the money and it amasses the money via investments. How does yes. the investment work? Yeah, so oftentimes what happens is because investors already have experience with the PE firm, um, they are effectively investing in a bl- what's called a blind pool. They don't know what VGM is going to go by. So they just have previous experience based on the reputation of the private equity firm that these limited partners, these investors will fund, uh, commit capital to a particular fund. And then VGM will go out and find businesses to uh, invest in on those limited partners behalf. So this is a form of financing. It really is. It's uh, instead of going to friends and family or instead of going to the bank to raise money, it's really a way for these smaller businesses to get not just financing financing, but also expertise. Oftentimes, these private equity firms, they have a lot of experience in that particular industry, and so they can bring their expertise. So it's not just giving money, it's also giving knowledge. The batting average isn't a 1,000. No, no. No. No, and that's why they create these funds, and oftentimes these funds will have many investments in them, sometimes as few as like three, but oftentimes it could be dozens of companies that they're investing in. So this particular fund that was invested in Hello Bello, while Hello Bello went bankrupt, it's not as though all of the investments in that fund went bankrupt. Even when things go south, it's the, it's not over. No, you told it's me not. about something called vulture capital. <laughs> yeah, and so what ended up happening is there's actually another private equity firm that they specialize in distressed events. Sometimes they're called vulture funds, where they will find out who's going into bankruptcy, who's filed, and they'll try to see if they can purchase them out of bankruptcy. Let's say in the perfect world, these things would work out. Mm-hmm. How do they work out? What, what, what eventually, how do they pay out? Yeah, so sometimes companies will hold on to them because they, they like the cash that it's kicking off. But oftentimes, they might sell it to either a strategic buyer or a financial buyer. A strategic buyer would, just as an example, let's say Hello Bello, if they were sold to another consumer goods company, a bigger company, it's a strategic fit for the portfolio of products. Or it could be to another private equity firm. It used to be that really the golden ring was to try to actually go public, to list the shares on the New York Stock Exchange. But now more often, it's one private equity firm selling it to another private equity firm. What is the role of private equity with Annex Private Client? It, it can play a role in portfolios when it's appropriate for that client. There are all sorts of different risks associated with it. You have to be really patient with these investments. It's not as though it's something traded on the New York Stock Exchange where you can look at the price and you can buy and sell whenever you want to, whatever quantity. It really is a commitment. And so it is really for higher net worth individuals who have those longer term goals and can tolerate the opacity. So the fact that you don't necessarily always know the finances and also the illiquidity, the fact that you can't get out just whenever you want. You get 50 cents for opacity. Very nice. (laughs) Dr. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you very much. Thank you. I learn so much all the time. Folks, put this guy to work and the rest of the team. We do investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. We'd love to do it for you. 
this past hour, only a sample of what we do and how we do it. You get the full picture when you sit down with us and talk about your situation. Click the Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back here next Sunday at noon. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.